Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. Selling a piece of jewelry like an engagement ring or wedding set can be a nightmare, but Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to work with you and for you to get the best deal on your piece. And if you're thinking it's not worth the hassle, remember that your diamond engagement ring can be the financial asset that allows you to embrace that fresh start after divorce. Worthy helps you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a $100 gift card when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. Today, we're talking about mortgages and refinancing in divorce. Now, many parts of the country have experienced rapidly increasing house prices, which makes some people feel that there's no way for them to move out of the marital home and stay in the same neighborhood where the kids go to school. Couple this with the current mortgage market with interest rates that are above 5% for a 30-year fix, uh, practically double what you might have been able to have gotten 12 months ago. And my sense is that many people are feeling stuck with no good options. So here to help us unpack this, I know that my guest does not have a magic wand. She can't make all this right. But here to help us understand this a bit more is my guest, Jody Bruns. Jody is the president and founder of the Divorce Lending Association and the Certified Divorce Lending Professional Certification Program. Welcome, Jody. Thank you very much, Mandy. I am so excited that you're with us. And I have lots of questions. I wanted to start off with um, wondering if you could give us, help us understand what drives mortgage interest rates. Because I get conflicting reports like the, you know, we we hear that the Fed is meeting and they're anticipating more interest rate hikes. And I start to think, oh, my God, mortgage interest rates are going to go up more. And then I read another article that says, no, you know, the Fed rate doesn't necessarily dictate the mortgage interest rate. So so what's going on there? Yeah, that is a big misconception out there. Actually, the easiest way to think of this is almost traditionally, they're just they go in the opposite direction. Because when the Fed rate goes up and, you know, it may trigger a decrease in the stock market. Well, when the stock market goes down, people pull their investments out of the stock market and they're more interested in buying mortgage-backed securities. So when there's more investments in the mortgage-backed securities, that triggers a lowering of the mortgage interest rates. You know, so it's almost, you know, like it's a balancing act out there. But when one goes up, the other one typically goes downward and it just kind of fluctuates back and forth. So it truly is apples and oranges when you are watching what the Fed is doing with the Fed's funds rate. Do you, I mean, I did hear on the radio that the, the Fed is trying to maybe discourage people investing in the stock market right now. Are you saying that we should anticipate mortgage rates holding steady or coming down a bit? I, you know what? 
you don't want to make any predictions. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Historically, we could have said, yes, if the Fed funds rate is going up or the more or the stock market is going down, you can almost bet that there's going to be a correction on the interest rates. But this last year, <laughs> everyone's just kind of it's like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it's going to stick. You know, I heard the other day there was one of our loan officers in our groups actually ended up locking a rate at 7%. You know, and you were completely right on your introduction that, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, we've had all kinds of homeowners locking in interest rates, refinancing down at an average of 3% on a 30-year fixed rate. And now if you're going through a divorce and you're either selling your home and both parties are looking to purchase or you're doing an equity buyout as a refinance on the marital home, you're going from 3% to 6.5-7%. I mean, that's a big pill to swallow for these divorcing homeowners. It is. And it actually means like, you know, if if I'm running into situations where because of the interest rates and the house prices, people aren't able to qualify for a mortgage to buy out the other person's interest. Yeah. Because the, the mortgage interest rate is so much higher. So because of that, I'm seeing people agreeing to continue to own the house together for the time being, because they do want, and oftentimes these are people that have younger kids. So they want, they're looking for stability for their children and where their children are going to, to school. But I wondered if um, we talk about what are the downsides? Are there downsides to agreeing to continue to own the house together? And maybe, you know, one party still moves out, but you co-own it for a, a number of years. So there's really no... Again, you and I both know that every divorce scenario is different and it's going to require both spouses to work together, you know, because obviously the spouse that's residing and retaining the marital home is going to continue, hopefully paying the mortgage on time. The risk is the vacating spouse Should the other spouse make a payment late or default on paying the mortgage, it will still affect the credit on the spouse that vacated. You know, so there's got to be some type of management and maintaining a good working relationship between the spouses. A lot of spouses, you know, that are vacating the home, the biggest other than getting their money and still being on the mortgage, one of the other biggest hurdles or pushback, if you will, that they give is that, well, if my name is still on the mortgage to the marital home, then I can't purchase a new home. And that's not correct. You know, that's one of the reasons as a certified divorce lending professional, we get involved during the negotiation and settlement process of the divorce because then we can work with the divorce team and make sure that the verbiage is correct or written in such a way in the settlement agreement that 
if the mortgage stays as is, and if it is assigned to the, the residing spouse that it's now their legal responsibility for making the mortgage payment, then we can typically omit that mortgage payment from the vacating spouse's mortgage application, but it has to be written correctly. You know, so again, I understand that people get divorced because they don't like each other anymore, (laughs) typically, you know, but when it comes to this huge shift in the mortgage industry, they got to work together, you know, and, and yeah, it may be mean that they're not going to get their equity ownership out of the house right now. But that's when the whole divorce team works together and they say, okay, well, if we can't refinance at this time, are we going to shift, you know, the other marital assets? So maybe right. there's there's not an equity buyout at this time. You know, it just well, takes uh, collaboration. Yes. So let, so let's go 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 back, Jody, because I just want to go back to that part where you were saying the one spouse stays in the house and one spouse moves out, but the person who's staying in the house, you mentioned about assigning the mortgage to them. So I just wanted to just zone in on that by clarifying what you meant by assigning. I've worked on putting into separation agreements or the divorce agreements that the spouse who's in the house takes full sole responsibility for all house-related expenses, mortgage, interest, homeowners insurance, property tax, water, sewer, utilities, repairs, maintenance. Is that what you mean by assigning it to the person who's going to be staying in the home? Yes. So when the settlement agreement goes into effect, and if it's written in such a way like you just described that, let's say, for example, you know, Jane is retaining the marital home located at 123 Main Street, Jane will now be responsible for making the current mortgage payment, including principal interest, taxes, insurance, homeowners association, et cetera, until such time it's refinanced or the property sold, you know, whatever the ultimate outcome is. When it's written that way, it becomes what's called a court-ordered assignment of debt. Okay. So that does not mean, though, that she's assuming the loan. It does not mean that her partner or her spouse is going to be removed from their legal obligation should it go into default. But when it's written that way, From the mortgage perspective, we see it as the court has ordered her or assigned her responsibility for paying this mortgage. So when the the other spouse who's vacating goes to apply for a mortgage, because the court assigned her legal responsibility for making the payment, we can then omit it from the other spouses. And this this isn't just mortgages. I mean, this can be auto loans, credit cards consumer debt, et cetera. Okay. Awesome. So another question kind of related to that, I've had a couple of situations where the house is titled to both people, both people are on the mortgage. They've agreed that one person is going to stay in the house. And in some cases have agreed that they'll take ownership of the house as of the date of the decree, but they're not going to refinance it. 
sometimes it comes up by, well, the person who's moving out could sign a quick claim deed, so take their name off the title, but they're still on the mortgage. Good idea? Bad idea? Well, it's, again, it depends. So... (laughs) I know, right? You laugh, but I, that's my that's my comeback answer to everything. It depends. So, if the spouse who's vacating signs a quick claim deed, he's tr- he or she is transferring all of their ownership interest to the other party. So, if they are going to be compensated, if you will, for their equity share through other assets, then it's fine. But if they're going to wait, you know, to receive their equity, ownership, interest, dollar amount, et cetera, once the refinance is done, if they sign a quick claim deed, they no longer are securing that asset. Right. So my concern is usually like, well, even if that person is the person who's staying in the house is taking over the mortgage payments, what happens if those mortgage payments aren't made? And the other person who's still on the mortgage, but then doesn't have title to the house, does that leave an exposure for them? Well, it leaves an exposure because regardless to what the marital settlement agreement states, the court cannot alter the original agreement between the mortgage lender and the borrowers. Right. So even if the settlement agreement says that Jane, for example, is responsible for paying the mortgage, that will not alter the ultimate legal obligation of the other spouse. Right. And you're right. If they're not on title, you know, they don't have any recourse to list the house, et cetera. There is one thing I should throw in here since we're talking about title is for the most part, I'd say the majority of time, a married couple, they hold title as some type of joint tenancy, whether it's tenancy by the entirety or joint tenancy with the right of survivorship. In all in the majority of states, what people, attorneys, etc., do not realize is that once that divorce goes into effect, joint tenancy because of the divorce defaults to tenancy in common with no right of survivorship. And then you know so it spell that so, out. Yeah. So here's an example. If Jane and John, for example, they hold joint tenancy with the writer's survivorship on the marital home. And once the divorce is final, by default in almost all state you know, law, joint tenancy defaults to tenancy in common with no writer's survivorship. So what that basically means is if, let's say they're not refinancing the home because of interest rates and something happens, you know, let's say a year down the road, John gets remarried, has a new estate, you know, will put into place, leaves all of his, his entire estate to his new partner and spouse. And then something happens to John, who owns the house together, the new spouse and the ex-spouse. Right. Or even without John getting married, it means that Jane might be finding that her mother-in-law, yes. her former mother-in-law yep. is moving into the house or yes. sister-in-law or something. So so it's important to have that conversation about what what is, if you're going to continue to co-own the house or stay on the, the mortgage and the title together, you've got to talk about what is your intention for what happens if either one of you pass away. Or address it. 
you know, because yeah. if, if you know that is that tenancy is going to automatically change once the divorce is final, then you both re-sign a new quick claim deed changing tenancy back to joint tenancy with the right of survivorship. Huh. Okay. Jody, we're going to take a short break here. Listeners, my guest is Jody Bruns. Jody is president and founder of the Divorce Lending Association, and she has over 30 years of experience in mortgage and finance industries. You're listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. We'll be right back. Do stay tuned for more valuable advice on mortgages and refinancing in your divorce, and especially for how you can get a free download from Jody called A House Divided. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your rings from dusty relics of hard times to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, partner with Worthy. We're ready when you are. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about mortgages and refinancing in the divorce process. My guest today is Jody Bruns. Jody is president and founder of the Divorce Lending Association and has over 30 years of experience in mortgages and finance industry. And Jody, um, before we jump back to some more questions I have about mortgages and refinancing, I wondered if you could share a little bit more, if you'd like to share a little bit more about the Certified Divorce Lending Professional Certification and the benefits of working with somebody who has this designation. Yeah, absolutely. So the divorce the divorce lending association operates and manages the certified divorce lending professional CDLP certification. And the whole basis or concept of the CDLP is we understand the journey of the divorcing homeowner. We understand the disconnect of family law, financial and tax planning, real property, and mortgage financing. And what we have done is put a training program together so that you have a CDLP who can recognize this disconnect and recognize all the red flags and hurdles that the divorcing homeowner is going to come face-to-face with. And some of those we've already talked about where, you know, an attorney you know, or a mediator, et cetera, they're not privy to mortgage requirements. And it's not as simple in the divorce settlement agreement as to who gets the house, who moves out, and yes, you have to refinance. There are so many different phases of divorce mortgage planning. There are even details of the property itself that may dictate what type of financing is available or not. So the certified divorce lending professional, they're trained to get involved in the divorce process as part of your professional divorce team so that we can all collaborate together and we all have a different perspective over the house, the financing, et cetera, so that we can actually put together a plan 
for the divorcing homeowner because we want to make sure that they can make more informed decisions regarding their home equity solutions. Great. And I do like it. Like uh, Usually when I'm doing mediations or even when I'm working on a financial consulting basis with clients, I try and, and, and there's a question about the house. I get them to talk, start talking to a mortgage professional sooner rather than later. It's like, don't let, you know, we need to figure out now if you can refinance and what does that look like and what are the terms and conditions and start having that conversation now so that we can take that into account in the documentation and in the agreement. So listeners, check out Certified Divorce Lending Professional. I want to jump back to my questions, Jody. Until recently, I'd never really heard this, but it's been coming up in more of my conversations with clients, and I think it's because of the difficulty with refinancing and because of all oh, the interest rates, and they look at their current mortgage rate and think, you know, gosh, I just want to keep that 3% mortgage rate. People are starting to talk about assuming the mortgage, where if the mortgage is held jointly, one party is able to take it over and remove the other party from the mortgage without having to refinance. So they get the benefit of the existing interest rate. I, there's a bunch of questions I have on this. It's just like, is that really, is is that a viable option? I mean, how often do people have that option and how would they know if they have that available to them? So you're going to laugh at my answer. It depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So literally it does depend. So there's different types of mortgages. And your conventional loans are pretty much what the majority of people have. Those are loans that are, you know, Fannie, Freddie owned. And for the most part, well, actually, as I'm going to say 100% across the board, on a conforming loan, they are not assumable loans. FHA, your Federal Housing Administration, and your veteran, your VA loans, Those are the only two types of loans that are assumable. And so it's very, very, very rare that you could ever get the lender on a conventional loan to remove a liable party and let the other party assume. I've only seen it done like maybe one time in 30 years. And that's because it was a locally owned bank who they portfolio their loans. They don't necessarily sell them to Fannie or Freddie, so they have more control. FHA and VA, in order to actually assume the loan, the borrowing spouse, the spouse who's going to assume responsibility, still has to qualify. They still have to contact the current lender and go through the qualification purposes. A VA loan you know, a a party, you have to remember that VA loans are for veterans. So if a non-veteran spouse is going to assume the VA loan, they have to go through again, the qualification purposes. But the thing that's going to be detrimental, if you will, to the veteran who may be coming off the loan is his or her entitlement is still going to be directly related to the loan. They're not going to release their entitlement so that they can go and get 
full 100% financing using their VA loan on another loan on, you know, if they want to buy. So So that's going to affect their ability to, to purchase another property. Correct. Because their entitlement will still be tied to that existing loan. But if the, the spouse is, is a veteran, then they, they can almost always transfer the entitlement to the now borrowing veteran. You know, so you laugh, it, it depends. You know, you, right. that's one of the reasons, again, to have a CDLP involved in the process so they can, they can look at all the moving parts. And to your point earlier, that is also why every divorce is unique because the, the combination of facts in each person's circumstances is always different. So I guess it's still like, I've had people say to me, well, you know, I should be able to assume the mortgage. I said, you know, if you can assume it, that would be great. But why don't you call your mortgage lender and ask them, is that possible? Because I don't want us to go down the route of assuming it's possible and then find out that it's not. Let's establish now whether or not that's even an option for you. No, and there's, there's two different types of assumptions. You know, so if, if we go back to, if the court says, you know, Jane, you're responsible for now making the payment, she's literally assuming legal responsibility for making the payment. That assuming responsibility is not assuming the mortgage. Yeah, you know, and I still I on the mortgage that, documents. Yeah. So and all the other party is still on the mortgage documents. Exactly. So there's a mesh, if you will, and people understand assuming the loan in two different ways. And I just find it's always very important to say, you may be assuming responsibility, but you are not assuming okay. the loan. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a great point of clarification. Okay. Another question, and I think this goes back to and something I learned I don't know if it's still the case, but when I did your program, is there still a difference between cash out refinancing and an equity buyout? And if so, can you explain to our listeners what that is? Sure. So there are two types of refinance loans. There is a rate and term refinance and there is a cash out refinance. And for clarity, an equity buyout is not a mortgage. An equity buyout is basically what it's called when it's a process, basically, where Jane is required to refinance to acquire the equity ownership of her spouse. So an equity buyout is not an actual loan type. So again, the two types of refinances are rate and term and cash out. The difference is terms. So we want to be able to structure our equity buyouts as a rate and term refinance. The reason is you have more access to equity in the home. You can exceed, you can go up almost always to 95 or 97% of the value of the home. And the interest rate is usually lower. On a cash out refinance, you can only go up, you can all only borrow up to 80% of the home's loan to value, and it usually carries a higher interest rate. Now, the issue is, you know, what happens if the spouses have 70% loan to value? So they have 30% equity. 
And the way the settlement agreement is structured or the title vesting is on the property, if you're limited to 80% and the vacating spouse was awarded 15% of the equity, you're not going to be able to refinance to access that full 15% that they were granted. You know, so we need to work during the settlement process again to see how we can structure the entire process so that we can do it as a rate and term refinance or else we might be stuck doing a cash out where we can't even execute the order. No cash out. This is probably one of the biggest frustrating things for divorcing homeowners is if they're refinancing, sometimes they want to be able to roll in attorney fees or pay off you know, joint marital debt. Anything like that, you're going to completely flip it to a cash out refinance and you're not going to be able to do it. So we need to, again, make sure that the settlement agreements are written in such a way that it will designate that equity, fi- equity buyout and we'll be able to structure it as a rate and term refinance or else we may not be able to execute. Okay. Wow. Or else you can do it on different terms and do it as a cash out. And if somebody just wants to refinance with the same existing balance, just to take the other person's name off the mortgage, that would be a rate and term refinance. Correct. Okay. All right. I'm going to do this really quickly because we're almost out of time here. I did want to just remind our listeners, like, I mean, a big question about qualifying for mortgages is qualifying income. And typically, child support and spousal support will count as qualifying income. But can you remind us, Jody, of the terms for like what, what do mortgage lenders look for before they will consider it as qualifying income? Okay, so there's two different things we look at. For the most part, if you are doing a conforming loan, which is not a government loan, you have to show six months proof of receipt of support, and there has to be a three-year continuance once the loan has closed. So those are our documentation requirements. The other thing we look at is stability and consistency. It has to be paid as ordered. So we have to establish that the income is stable. So we can't have the paying spouse pay 500 one month, catch up the next month. It has to be paid as ordered and it has to be paid on time. So if the court order says paid by the fifth of every month and it's paid on the fifth one month, on the 20th the next month, that's not consistent. You know, so we have to have proof of receipt and we have to meet our consistency and stability test. Okay. And then if the parties agree to a lump sum payment for the first six months, would that help to shorten the time to qualification? No, because we're not showing consistency and stability. You know, if if you're paying six months up front, that's only one payment. Okay. So it's got to yeah. be spread out. Yes. Okay. Um, Jody, I know that you you are just a wealth of information and I know we, there's more that I'm sure that you want to tell <laughs> us, but we're, we're out of time. 
Jody, could you, you have a free download for our listeners, A House Divided. Could you share what that download is and what people could learn from it? Absolutely. So I authored a book a couple of years ago called A House Divided, The Clash Between Divorce, Real Estate, and Mortgage Financing. It really covers a vast number of topics similar to what we talked about today. It goes into more detail, obviously. But if you would like to visit my website at jodybruns.com, you will be able to find a link for a free download of the entire book. Awesome. So that would be really helpful for anybody who's in the preparation stages of getting divorced. And thank you so much for sharing that, Jody. Absolutely. Listeners, my guest today was Jody Bruns, who's the president and founder of the Divorce Lending Association and the Certified Divorce Lending Professional Certification Program. And as you can hear, she is a wealth of knowledge on this topic. I would encourage you to do her download and read up on it and seriously consider working, making sure that the, you bring in a certified divorce lending professional into your divorce conversations sooner rather than later. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. Worthy is a selling partner with an online auction platform designed to help you sell your jewelry, such as an engagement ring or wedding set. When you decide to send your ring, Worthy takes care of the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely at our New York office. Once your jewelry arrives, the team at Worthy professionally cleans and photographs it before sending it out to a grading lab. All of these steps are designed to maximize your price in Worthy's online auction, where hundreds of buyers compete for your piece. One of the best parts of selling with Worthy is that you are completely in control. You'll work with Worthy's team to set a reserve price before the auction starts, keeping you in control of how much your ring sells for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send your ring back to you and we'll even cover the costs of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. And for a limited time, Our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you, so reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what you want to hear. We look forward to hearing from you, and you can also find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast.